Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Fluid Football Podcast. This is our first episode. We're really excited to get this going. Uh, we started this podcast to talk about soccer from the perspective of two college kids. Uh, we're both sophomores at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. We are not experts by any means, uh, but we've been fans of the beautiful game for our whole lives and just want to get our thoughts out there and engage with people. So with that, uh, I guess I'll introduce myself uh, before we get started. My name is Jacob Cohen. I'm from the Philadelphia area. I played club soccer and high school soccer growing up. I was a center mid, a left back, a right back, a center back. Changed over the years, uh, but I've been a fan of the game for my whole life. Uh, I'm a lifelong FC Barcelona fan. I actually lived in Barcelona for a year when I was 10. Um, it was a great, great experience getting to see Messi uh, up and close. And I was a 10-year-old. It was such a cool experience. Uh, and then besides that, I'm a, a very big Arsenal fan, which has been a, a roller coaster, especially as of late. Uh, but one of the reasons that I wanted to start this podcast is, honestly, I, I feel like I have too many thoughts and too many takes bouncing around in my head right now and I want some organized way to articulate them and I feel like this is a great way to do that and to, to try to engage other people as well so you know soccer is my favorite thing in the world and I'm just super excited to see where this goes so I'm gonna hand it off to my co-host to introduce himself all right uh, hey guys my name is Avi uh, I'm a sophomore in Michigan like Jacob said um, I grew up in the state of Michigan and I played club and high school soccer uh, for most of my life um, I was a center forward. It's not as tactically uh, diverse as as Jacob was, um, but yeah, I am a Newcastle fan as of 20, 2012, we'll say. And uh, before that, I liked AC Milan. Um, obviously, a fan of the USA national team. Um, but you know, I felt like I wanted to start a podcast because I love soccer, obviously, and I love talking about soccer, and I feel like we're bringing a you know, fresh perspective to like soccer discourse. And I feel like, uh, you know, this space doesn't have a lot of voices of our generation. And I think that, you know, we can really contribute meaningful, meaningfully, uh, hopefully to this discussion. Um, and we're planning on making this podcast, you know, very free flowing and just kind of see where it goes. Um, you know, our, the name is fluid football. So hopefully that is uh, true. Um, but yeah, this episode, we're just gonna, um, kind of talk about, um, about how like current football, you know, I think it gets a lot of, uh, you know, stick, if you will, um, you know, from the older generation, you know, a lot of journalists, a lot of, you know, football Twitter accounts, they love to say, you know, early 2000s was like the best generation of football, like, you know, the Invincibles, you know, you had, uh, R9, David Beckham. You know, all these people who are kind of deified. And I feel like, you know, this current generation is not given enough um, credit. Um, and I feel like, you know, we, you know, we really um, have to appreciate, you know, what we have more. Um, so, yeah, with that. Um, yeah, this isn't this isn't a sort of, uh, you know, an argument against the older generation. You know, it would have been such a blessing to be able to watch Pele and Maradona and Cruyff in their prime. But you know, unfortunately, we just weren't able to do that. And so, you know, we're kind of here to stick up for our generation, at least uh, talk about some of the, you know, events and, and 
personal moments of nostalgia that, that we've experienced growing up and, you know, that have, have made us fall in love with football. So I guess the way we can start this and then the way we can kind of navigate, you know, our generation of football, uh, I guess, Avi, uh, I'll ask you, what made you fall in love with football? Uh, or, you know, is there any football that's inspired you over the years? Anything that you'd like to start off with? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, first game I remember watching, uh, Italy, uh, France, World Cup final 2006. Um, I just remember, I just remember thinking like how bizarre the headbutt was. And, but I just loved, you know, how much it seemed to, you know, mean to everyone in, in the World Cup um, with all that. So that was my first football memory. Um, you know, I got a Ronaldinho jersey uh, growing up. That's, so I was briefly a fan of, of Brazil. Uh, but, you know, in terms of, you know, what made me fall in love, I, I don't, th- I, I don't think I can point to, you know, just one event. It was kind of a series of events. Um, you know, I remember watching Manchester United beat Manchester City, you know, Paul Scholes, 93 minute goal, um, you know, Donovan, uh, Landon Donovan's goal for the USA against, uh, Algeria, you know, that, those are the kind of moments that just made me, you know, fall in love with soccer. And obviously I was playing at the same time. So it's kind of like, you get a dream of you know having these same moments and you get experience you know some of the joy that is out there um so yeah i'd say it was a kind of a collection of moments that you know allowed me to really get involved with the game uh whether it was playing or watching and obviously you know here in the u.s uh the premier league is such a such a big deal that you know growing up you know that's what that's what you watch you know soccer wise i mean the mls was around but premier league is is really um was the thing to watch soccer wise Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. No, I can't tell you how many times I want desperately wanted to knee slide into the corner when I was younger, yeah. despite there being no fans there. But no, <laughs> I, I totally get it. I, I also like, like yeah. don't understand how you like knee slide. Like I still to this day, like it has to be super wet. Like there's just like no <laughs> way. Otherwise, like my friend, he he scored in a game in a high school game. He ran like the length of the field back to like our coach and tried to do like a knee slide in front of him, and he just like epically failed and just like face planted. And it was it was it was quite a scene. Really slide fail, you know, but yeah. uh, no, that's that's great. Um, for me, um, I guess it all it comes down to Barcelona and the development of Barcelona from the time I started watching to now. Um, so I started, you know, watching when I was probably around eight, eight years old. I want to say, um, you know, Eto, Thierry Henry, Ronaldinho, uh, you know, guys like that. Um, you know, made me made me notice the game and, and start to appreciate it in a sense. Um, and my soccer IQ, if you will, developed over the next couple of years. And by 2000, by 2009, 2010, um, you know, what Barcelona was doing, uh, I, I found was very special. Um, and I know they're now regarded as one of the greatest teams in history, Barca, 9, 10, 10, 11. Um, I mean, that whole team, Dani Alves, Puyol, that midfield trio, Xavi, Iniesta, Busquets, Messi, uh, just just the, the the whole the whole system was beautiful to me, and it, it really it, it was inspiring. Um, and you know, it made me that much more passionate about the game. And so that's kind of where it started for me. And you know, I'm still a big fan of Barcelona, despite the fact that you know it's not the same tiki taka style that that Pep implemented back back in the day. But right, you know, that's still that's still where I'm at. Yeah, Tiki Taka honestly was it had, it had a big influence on my life too. I mean, 
it just like set the standard, right? Everyone, all the coaches, like high school coaches are like, you know, that's the standard. Like you, you do these passing drills and it's, and it's like, you know, why are we doing this? Like, well, Barcelona does this every practice and it's like, okay. And, and then you go and watch sports center and sports center, you know, even like Barcelona highs would show up, right? Just because how entertaining, how, how free flowing their football was. And I think that, um, you know, that's what it kind of makes me sad and mad for Barcelona right now. Obviously, Kike Setien, like, try to go back to, like, the possession-based football. But, you know, when they when they still, when they still were uh, had uh, Valverde, it was just painful to watch. And it's like, yeah. for me, I, I associate Barcelona with Tiki Taka and that, that, that free-flowing style, total football. And, you know, it, it was very frustrating. I'm not even, like, really a fan of Barcelona, you know what I mean? But, like, yeah. it was just frustrating to watch that period of time. I mean, including now where it's just like Barcelona yeah. just isn't what they used to be. I think it's a combination of, of course, like differences in managerial style over the years, but also I'm not going to blame the personnel, but because the personnel that Barcelona is working with right now is still world-class, fantastic squad. But back, you know, over the last decade, the majority of the squad was made up of homegrown players from La Masia. You, I mean, yeah. a lot of the players grew up you know, in the Barcelona system and learn to play this a certain way. And so, you know, when that generation reached the right age is just when it peaked and it was so beautiful to watch. Right. Because in, in 2009 uh, or 2010, 2011, um, you know, it was, it was Messi, Iniesta, Xavi as a, as a three Ballon d'Or finalist. Like, that's actually ridiculous. And they're all from La Masia, which is also yeah. insane. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously to do what Barcelona did again is, is obviously almost impossible. Um, and and you saw, I, I, yeah. I, I, I'm kind of like, you know, their, their philosophy seems to have changed, right? It seems like they're almost coming, becoming more like Real Madrid, while Real Madrid is almost becoming more like what we used to associate Barcelona with, right? Because, like, Barcelona is just spending, you know, ridiculous amounts of money in the transfer market and, like, bringing in Griezmann and Griezmann de Mele. And they have Real Madrid who are, you know, I mean, they still are buying a lot. And obviously Mbappe is still on the horizon. But, you know, it seems like they are trying to develop their players um, a little bit more than they have in the past. We're, we're seeing that a lot now in the Premier League as well. We're seeing slowly more of the, more of the academy players making appearances and, and working their way into the squads. And, I mean, that, I mean, that's been really fun to watch. I mean, as an Arsenal fan especially, you know, a lot of young yeah. talent there. But, but around the Premier League... <laughs> Hey, don't don't forget about uh, Longstaff brothers. <laughs> Longstaff brothers. Longstaff brothers. Um, <laughs> you want to talk about young talent, okay? Young talent. Oh man, no, but uh, exciting times ahead, you know, with with a young talent for sure, and, and we'll we'll see how uh, different styles emerge in the next few years as the players that we grew up with, you know, have, have passed their peaks and, and start to retire, and it's a new era honestly, a new era coming in. So yeah. I'm looking forward to that. Um, so with that, I think we, we, we can move forward, talk a bit about more, a bit, a bit more about, you know, some, some of the, some of the greatest moments from our generation. I mean, I said, you know, a new era is coming in. Let's, let's, let's discuss, you know, some of the, some of the incredible things that we witnessed. I think one thing in particular is Leicester City's title run. I feel okay. like that's something I, I know it was a number of years ago now, but it's still just, it, it doesn't get enough attention. I, I think it's absolutely I outrageous. Absolutely and, and outrageous. I think, 
it's hard to comprehend how um, against the odds it was because, like, yeah, you had the odds it was like twenty five hundred to one before the season, but this isn't just winning a cup competition, right? This isn't just like you get like you have a you go hot. This is you know however many months. This is a uh, you know four. This is nine months of of soccer, and and basically Leicester City were you know better. They came out on top, obviously, of everyone else, and that is insane. <laughs> I mean. I had never even heard of Leicester City, if I'm being honest, before heard of before that City. run. <laughs> like, no, I it was not. absolutely ridiculous. No, uh, the thing is, right? They emerged from nowhere. We we all like we don't need to you know go too in depth because we're all familiar. But you know the avoiding relegation the the season before Nigel right. Pearson, incredible story in itself. Um, and then to come back the next year and and literally finish first, it's just it's just ridiculous, and it changed. Of course, it changed the lives of all these players. But, I mean, look at what it did for the, the careers of, I mean, I, I would say N'Golo Kante and Riyad Mahrez in particular. Yeah. Just crazy. And, and yeah. oh, so happy about it. I mean, Jamie Vardy was, you know, he's out, everyone knows the story. He was a construction worker. He was in jail. And, you know, then he has however many caps he has at the national team. Obviously, he's retired now. But, you know, for him, I, I don't think he could have imagined, you know, playing for the English national team. Um, yeah, and I think Leicester City, you know, they were very obviously counter counterattacking. I think you saw that counterattacking kind of mentality, um, you know, come into a lot more teams. It wasn't just teams realize it's not all about you know having the ball. It's about you know being able to counterattack, um, especially like offset pieces like corners. You see Liverpool do that now. Um, I think their influence is, is actually pretty underrated too. Underrated, and and look where they are now too. I mean, they're still. I mean, they're they're back yeah. to playing some some really exciting football. And I mean, I'll, I I know as as long as I live, I'm not going to forget. You know, the, specifically the moment Jamie Vardy scored that was it the 11th game in a row. Yeah, uh, yeah. scoring that goal against United. He, you know, he's he's facing the fans. He yells, you know, it's all something like it's all mine or all <laughs> mine now, something like that. And like, I, I just I'll never forget that moment as well. That's yeah. You know, I mean, from for me, what I remember from Vardy's season was that uh, that volley, half volley over uh, Liverpool, where it was just you know the most ridiculous strike. Like the ball is bouncing, the, you know, you're 30, 40 yards out, and to even think of hitting that off the bounce, like you know, that is that is ridiculous. And, and the fact that it went in, it was just like <laughs> I, I couldn't even comprehend that. You know, I I had a lot of Liverpool fan friends uh, who, well, some of course were were so angry, but everyone was just in shock and awe and applauding yeah. what he had done and like just just a, one of the more memorable moments that i've experienced in the premier league by far right yeah i mean that mara's variety par- partnership was actually insane too i mean that was as entertaining of a duo i think we've had in the premier league era i mean i don't know how many duos are like i mean I'm trying to think yeah no <laughs> I, don't know. I mean what other duos do we have i mean we have strike I mean, Demba Papi Cisse, you know, that was a great partnership. That was a great one. But, I mean, duos, I'm trying to think. I mean, I mean at, this, at this point, it's more, you, it's, you don't hear as much about duos as you do about front threes. You know, you've right. got Tala, Mane, Firmino, right. um, you know, Aubameyang, Lacazette, Pepe, yeah. uh, et cetera, et cetera. I agree with you. I, I, I'm struggling to come up with another duo on the spot right now that we've seen in the past. Um, maybe Luis Suarez, Daniel Sturridge. Yeah, uh, at, but back in uh, I don't even know what year that was, twenty fourteen. I don't know. Either way, um, yeah, 
point is it's tough to tough to to rival that duo there yep um and then what was even weirder was that you know the next season Leicester was just you know horrible in the Premier League you know they were they were close to the relegation zone and then obviously Ranieri got fired um and that you know they eventually they bounced back but it was it was pretty bizarre, and then and then they were like they were the last English team left in the Champions League at, at the same time. So it was, that was just, it was a really weird you know kind of combination of things. Um, yeah, 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 you're right. Yeah, and, and I think um, Leicester City's you know recruitment team. Um, I, I've heard it's changed since Brendan Rodgers um, has come in, but you, you know the people they've gotten, you know Sayunchu, Bardi, Mares, Conte, all the all these players that we had no idea before. Um, their season in in 2016, you know, you have to give massive credit to to the Leicester City recruitment team. Yeah, absolutely. You have, I mean, some big signings have come in and, and solved what seemed were going to be massive holes in the, in the squad. I mean, you have Wilfred and Didi, you have Soyuncu, yeah. big one this year, especially after the sale of Harry Maguire, um, who, by the way. I don't know if he's lived up to his price tag or not. I don't know what Manchester I mean, United fans depends, would say. Yeah, it depends who you're asking, I think. Um, but re- regardless, uh, Leicester's defense, uh, forgetting the place they're in now, uh, Leicester's defense has not looked weaker one bit. They, they might even be stronger. I don't know if yeah. that's purely the addition of well, Soyuncu. They have Ricardo Pereira, who's one of like, the best up-and-coming right-backs. I mean, he's, you know, he's linked all these places. You have Ben Chilwell, who's apparently going to go to Man City. Sure. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll see as well. The uh, summer transfer window will be interesting. Um, I'm not sure if things will change at all because of what's going on right now with the coronavirus, but it'll be interesting to see for sure. Yeah, um, yeah. I actually just saw an alert from Bleach Report, and it said uh, Juventus thinks that there's going to be a lot of player swap deals, almost like the NBA trade stuff. So. Which could be really interesting, honestly, and because uh, there's not there's not a lot of cash going around, so it's like you're going to see a lot of swaps, which I'm here for. <laughs> I think that that, that is something everyone, you know, in career mode in FIFA, you know, you like to throw a player in there, um, and, and it's something that you know what makes the NBA you know trade deadline so fun, or free agency, well, not free agency, but you know the trading of players is is, is very interesting, and um, mm-hmm. I think they could be kind of a silver lining from this coronavirus stuff. Yeah, we could see, we could see changes made that, that end up, you know, living on for years to come. Right. I'm trying to think of potential trades. Oh, mm. Okay. So, okay. So I'm going to put you on the spot. You're managing Newcastle. <laughs> you, need to, you need to, you can swap one player with a player, you know, of another, another Premier League team. Yeah. And, you know, reasonable. You have to be somewhat reasonable. You can throw cash in, but. Yeah put you on the spot what's the position that you think newcastle needs to improve most immediately i mean we don't we don't score enough goals i don't think we create enough chances either um you know i'm gonna have to say switch switch um joe linton for sebastian Aller. i feel like that's a reasonable i don't know if west ham would want to do that but i feel like you could maybe throw in some cash there i don't know i <laughs> I'm just Joe Linton. I, I feel like obviously he's not being utilized in the right way. I don't think, yeah. but I mean, forty million is just ridiculous. Yeah. Been, I've been reading a bit about him uh, recently. Saw an interesting video. Uh, I forget who posted it, but um, Tifo? Talking, 
Oh, it was Tifo. You're right. It was yeah, Tifo. Yeah, yeah. Um, Shout out Tifo. And yeah, uh, you know, just how, how he's not being utilized properly and, and why he was so effective last year versus why he's been so ineffective this year. But yeah. that'll be interesting. Honestly, I mean, maybe maybe we need is a, I mean, the formation, they, they did switch to like a 4-2-3-1 where, you know, Almiron's at on the uh, number 10 spot and you have St. Maximin on one of the wings. But then I, I think actually, if we're going to go with that formation, I mean, I don't really trust Matt Ritchie. To, I, don't, I don't really love him, honestly, on the other wing or Christian Atsu um, or really anyone else. So I, I think we actually needed a wing player. Um, so, I mean, maybe who would I swap? I feel like we can give John Joe Shelby to someone. I feel like he, he still has a, a lot of value in the Premier League. Bring him back to bring him back to Liverpool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then we can take uh, like Kerry Wills. Oh, that's not gonna happen. Uh, <laughs> Shelby for who? This is tough. Maybe back. Uh, give give him the lesser, and then we'll take back Perez. Per- uh, you miss Iozzi? I mean, yeah. He he uh, he was a big part of our team. I think, and it, it was underrated because I think a lot of Newcastle fans. They didn't like him because he kind of disappeared for games, but I mean, he he uh, he was a big piece for mm-hmm. to our system last year. Uh, totally, totally. Yeah. What about ready. you? What about, who who would you swap for Arsenal? Who would I? Uh, you know, I should have been ready for you to throw that on me. Um, I would say, in terms, I mean, there's a lot of things we need. I'm I'm going to assume that Arsenal's not losing Aubameyang. I'm going to assume that we're not losing anyone. I'm going to assume we have the squad we have moving into next season. Yeah. Um, we need a center back very, very, very obviously. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I'd like to bring in, uh, we've been linked with, with John Stones lately. Um, I, I, I'm trying to think, you know, who, I, who we could offer with, with, I guess, trade value, if you will, uh, mm-hmm. you know, for a, for a top class center back. I'd be willing to part ways with Lacazette, honestly. Right. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm ready to move on from Lacazette. I don't think Arsenal necessarily need him. I think Martinelli has a really bright future ahead of him. Um, I'm trying to think of a you know a side in the Premier League that needs a striker. Uh, Newcastle. In we have we have Newcastle. so many central de- defenders here. It's actually ridiculous. So who who would you yeah, like I'm, to who would you like to I send mean, over? I don't want to send. I mean, I feel like we could spare a defender. Like we have Lascelles, Lejeune, uh, what's his name, Cher. I mean, if I was going to get rid of one, I mean, we have Fernandez, Federico Fernandez. He's pretty good. Maybe we'll give you Fernandez. How about that? We're, we're going to take we'll your take best center back and some cash, and then, <laughs> okay. then we'll move on from that. Fair enough. Fair enough. Great. <laughs> All right. Let's uh, let's keep going. Um. Yeah. So probably one. Well, Arguably one of the greatest teams of uh, the Premier League era, Manchester City, 17-18, um, when they set the points record at 100. Um, you know, what do you think? Obviously, they went back-to-back. Um, actually, what, what squad do you think was better, 17-18 or 18-19? So, yeah, that's a good question. I think 17-18, with, you know, breaking the record, was a bit of shock to the, I, I, it's, it's hard to say based on just purely on points, because I think the league was caught by surprise with how Manchester city came out and were playing. I mean, yeah. you know, Pep, Pep had kind of implemented, you know, very similar style that he'd put in at Barcelona with the Tiki Taka. It felt a little more pacey, a little more attacking. 
than it yeah. was for sure. I mean, you have well, when you have Sane and Sterling, and when you when you have all all of that weaponry on the wings, you're not going to not yeah. take advantage of it. This um, podcast is a uh, we we stand Leroy Sane. Yes, absolutely, Leroy Sane, underrated and underappreciated. <laughs> um, I think. The squad. I mean, what, what were the major differences in the squads? I think the differences are in, in, in the rest of the league. What do you think are the differences in the, the squad? I mean, you had Laporte for the entirety of the second title-winning season. Right. Um, um, they sold... Um, yeah, yeah. Toure was... Yeah, well, he was kind of hard declining, but... Um, I think it was a very similar side. Um, yeah, either way. Similar. Either way, they had a... I mean, a Again, the points speak for themselves, but they had a much stronger hold on the league in their first title-winning season just because of they were so dominant and kept, caught everyone off guard. Nobody could adjust in enough time in the weeks, you know, that they could prepare to, to, to play against City. And I think, you know, teams adjusted their styles uh, the following summer to prepare for the next season. City still won, of course, but, you know, that absurdly dominant uh, season from City kind of sparked changes in the league and, and they're part of the reason that they're not, you know, as successful right now. Yeah. I think the well the biggest transfer in was they bought Maras from Leicester for sixty right. million um, in the summer. The biggest transfer out looks like mm, I mean Toure left, talked about that. Wow they holy crap, they have so many players. Oh Joe Hart yeah, they, left. No the joke my, my friends and I would always joke they just don't sell players they just yeah. bring in and bring in and bring in and again like they're not breaking any transfer records in terms of the fees they're paying but they're bringing in right. so many it's a high volume of expensive players and yeah i don't know the, the, well, the thing look is at this. They, yeah. they they sold 70 million pounds worth of players and then they, they bought 63 million so that's actually i mean that's pretty good in terms of the balance yeah. sheet that's, that's underrated i think and i think that's what people miss about manchester city it's like you know, they're not buying Mbappe. They're not buying Messi. Right. You know, they're buying, you know, players who are obviously great, but they're, they're not buying, um, and they're buying, I think it's more about quantity, right? They have all these players who are worth, you know, in the range of 40 to 80 million pounds. Yeah. And so, so the, you know, they're not spending it all on one player like PSG did with, with Neymar. And I think that's actually a smarter strategy. Um, you know, you can argue uh, whether you think that's fair um, yeah. on the amount of money you're spending, but, I think they're doing it in a much smarter way than a lot of clubs are. So, so my question for you then, um, this kind of goes back a couple of years, but you know, why <laughs> does Riyad Mahrez, who is thriving at Leicester and, and making a big name for himself, why does he go to Manchester City, who he knows have a young Leroy Sané, Raheem Sterling, who are reaching their prime? Why, why, why does a player like Mahrez, why do these players go to City if they know that they have so many players in the squad of such high right. quality? Um, I mean, I think... For Mares, he he stuck around at Leicester for, I mean, a couple of years after they won the title, and he saw they were kind of going a little bit for you know declining a little bit. But obviously, I think it's the opportunity to play with Pep Guardiola. Uh, his his reputation you know precedes itself. Um, but then also, I think the Champions League is is a factor that you know you cannot rule out. I think that's that's the biggest thing I think for a lot of these players is obviously your league, the Champions League. You know that's what you get remembered for, right, in club football. Yeah. And I think that. You know, for these top echelon players, they want to go where, where Champions League football is being played and where they feel like they have a chance to win. And I think that's where, like, why you might see, you know, 
we've heard of Aubameyang might want to leave Arsenal because if they don't make Champions League, and yeah. I think that's that's such a big influence on all these players' minds. Because one, it's money. Two, it's you know prestige. Um, so I think that's that's probably what played the biggest part. You know, mm-hmm. one playing under Pep Guardiola into playing um, for a chance to win the Champions League. I, I think I totally agree. I think the Champions League's probably the biggest factor in this case. Something that I was always thinking about was just the fact that it felt like if you were transferred to City, you were guaranteed trophies. It really yeah. felt like you were guaranteed trophies. And I mean, players, look at Benjamin Mendy. <laughs> he doesn't play. <laughs> like, right, right. Players willing to sacrifice minutes to, to win trophies is, I think, one of the reasons. And I think, you know, like, like Shakiri going from, you know, going to Liverpool, yeah. um, you know, from Stoke. Is like well, another Stoke example. Relegated. Stoke were relegated, but, but Liverpool versus, you know, another yeah. mid-table Premier League side where he right. could be the star because he's a star. Or he was yeah. a star, at least. So. Yeah, I think it's twofold there. Also, I mean, like it's obviously the manager Klopp. I think a lot of people want to play for him, also, and then obviously Champions League. And then, the, yeah. I mean, the chance to play for Liverpool, I think, is a lot of on a lot of people's you know bucket list for players. Maybe I mean, depending who you ask. But at, at, nowadays, I'd say that that's a, a pretty fair statement. I yeah. think, I think uh, you know, players would consider themselves lucky to be scouted by Liverpool now. But we'll see. We'll see how long. That lasts. I'm hoping not too long, but we will see. We will see. Yeah, I mean, how how long um how long do you see Klopp staying? I mean, do you see him going anywhere else except Liverpool, or do you see him ending his career there? No, it's it's a, it's a good question. He's he's not very old, um, but it's very hard once you've seen a player <laughs> or manager achieve so much at a club. It's very hard to see them somewhere else. It's yeah. like you, know, you can't see your favorite player wearing other colors, right? Um, so I, I don't know where he would go. I don't know if he'd go to another title-winning team or if he'd go to another contending team and build them up, like Leipzig, if, if um, Nagelsmann leaves. Uh, but I don't know. I don't see him leaving right now. I think with the squad he has, he loves the squad he has. You see all those hugs. That he yeah. gives out so kindly, uh, but I don't see him leaving anytime soon. Is, yeah, is my point. I, I think the only place he would manage other than Liverpool would be, you know, maybe going back to Borussia Dortmund or back to his home club, uh, Mainz. But I right, think right. he—I mean, you can obviously see how much he loves Liverpool, the city, and the club, and I think they obviously share that love for him. Right. Um, but I mean, I guess we're. What about Pep? You know. This Pep, is, Pep, is the same. Pep, Pep is different because we've seen him bounce around uh, at yeah. a quicker rate, it seems. At least he's been at, at more top clubs at a quicker rate. And so everyone thought everyone thought he was going to leave this summer. And then City were handed the Champions League ban, and everyone was positive that he was going to leave this summer. And then he came yeah. out and said he's not leaving. At least, right. at least he says he's not leaving. I still can't see him sticking around. Uh, for, for more than another season. I, I want to see him managing this, the Spanish national team. Yep. I really do. Um, I think that would be that would be something to see. I think he would... Who... who uh, it, was, it was Del Bosque, right, who managed them in 2010. In 2010, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that would be... That'd be really interesting to um, to see that. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't see him sticking around at City... I, I don't understand why he would want to stay without Champions League football. I, that doesn't seem to make sense because 
he's accomplished all he can domestically, right? There's nothing else for him to see. I mean, I don't yeah. understand why he would want to say. I mean, obviously he says he loves Manchester City, um, but I would I would bet on him leaving sooner rather than later. Yeah, for sure. I I, I really, I'm gonna stand by my point about the Spanish national team. He's gonna he's gonna turn them into a World Cup winning side. I think I'm very optimistic. Yeah, very optimistic. We'll see. Um. All right, let's go to Liverpool, uh, 1920. Um, I think a lot of things uh, in Liverpool, what they've done with their, uh, you know, the fact that they haven't spent that much money and yet, well, net spend, you know, they have the second lowest net spend of the big six in the past five That's years. Incredible. And yet they've, you know, accumulated, the, I think, the most valuable squad in Europe. And, um, you know, why... Why do you think, uh, you know, they will do that? <laughs> yeah, no. Um, first of all, I forget the name of the man who's responsible for their transfers, largely. Um, but my friend, you know, doesn't stop talking about him uh, mm-hmm. because, you know, he's in love with this man. They sold Dominic Solanke for 20, 20 million, uh, 25 uh, million Edwards, pounds. I think. Michael Edwards. Uh, yeah. yeah, right. Michael Edwards. Um, they they. they they, they sell these players. Jordan Ibe, they sold for around 20 million pounds, right. I believe. Yeah, they, they sold Dom Solanke. They're selling all of these pretty mediocre players for the same price that they bought Shakiri at. Granted, he was right. relegated, but, but I mean, you have Shakiri who, who's competing in World Cups and Euros and scoring worldies year in, year yeah. out. And, you know, it's incredible. The business they do is incredible. So yep. that's, you know, on the, the buying and selling end. In terms of the development, um, Virgil van Dyke, I don't know if his value has technically increased, but it would cost any team in the world upwards of 200 million pounds to buy him right now. Um, Trent Alexander-Arnold cannot stop assisting. Uh, His value is continuing to skyrocket. This this team's just, it's just clicking. And the, the players are feeding off each other and their valuations are feeding off of each other. They they're just winning and winning, and it's it's helping all of them. Yeah, and I think what was fascinating is you know Jennings is obviously having a great season for Southampton right now, but I mean he barely played, and he cost Southampton eighteen million pounds, which is I mean that's kind of a ridiculous fee for for someone who barely plays um, at all. And I think um, what Liverpool have done is uh, I think teams have confidence in their players, you know. That they're well trained, um, you know, being under Klopp and all that. I think you know teams feel like, oh, if this team, this player is not good enough for their first team. They're still probably good enough for our first team. And I think that's where, you know, how they're able to make a lot of their profits in in, uh, in the transfer market. Basically, basically picking, you know, points in the market that he thinks you know, are willing to spend high, right? To pay a yeah. premium. What you're saying. And you know, we've read uh, about how Liverpool's. You know, recruitment team are just light years ahead of almost everyone else except for maybe, you know, City uh, in the Premier League. Um, and I think that, you know, whether that's analytics, um, you know, I've heard about, you know, they have like an astrophysicist who like helps with their analytics team. And they have all this other stuff that, you know, um, ahead of what everyone else seems to be doing right now. And I think, um, you know, that gap might start to close because I think if you look at the you know, the rest of the sports leagues, you know, whether it's the NBA or the NFL, you know, the analytics, it seems like the, 
first people who had them, they were, you know, so far ahead. But as, as soon as that kind of democratized, democratizes, I think the gap starts to close a little bit. And obviously, I don't think that means that, you know, the relegation tier is going to start competing with Liverpool. But I think that um, the gap between the top six might start closing. And, and I think some people argue that it's really only a top two right now, City and Liverpool. But I think that um, I think that Chelsea and maybe Tottenham, to a lesser extent, are really going to start pushing uh, those top two. Interesting. Um, you know, I disagree with the Tottenham point, but oh, also, are right, we'll move on. <laughs> no, it's a great point. Uh, you know, about using analytics and, and and whatnot to, you know, to your advantage, and and teams are definitely going to be making even more informed and calculated decisions and. It's going to be really interesting. It's you know it's going to be a giant game of chess. I mean, it already is, but it's going to be you know even more so. And and um, your point about it kind of being a top two right now, definitely you know at least the last season, this season, um, it's it's felt that way. But we are seeing developments in these other sides. Uh, you know, we're seeing new faces emerge that are very promising and are, are looking like they might be able to. Uh, ruffle a few feathers in that top two um but yeah. i'm very excited to see how that all how that all shuffles around in, in going off analytics um you know one complaint i've seen on twitter uh because i spent too much time on there is uh you know i saw this clip of it was 2006 goal of the day or goal of the week and you know had all these clips and they were like the most ridiculous strikes you know from the premier league it was like mm-hmm. michael essien's hit for chelsea uh, yeah. uh there's two goals didier drogba had like a, a great goal against everton someone else had a good goal i think lampard had one uh skulls i think hit a bar down strike from united and they, there was just a ridiculous highlight reel of goals and people were like oh it doesn't happen anymore in modern football you know with all those analytics you know people don't shoot from outside the box it's like well first of all you know that's not true second of all do you really want to be seeing you know David Luiz att- attempts his fifth shot from outside the box. He's going screaming. <laughs> those fans. Like, you know what? Like, I think it's okay to take a little less. And there, there still are, you know, memorable goals from outside the box. And that's kind of what my theory was that, you know, people like to glorify that, that uh, older generation because, you know, pe- pe- the people who are like, you know, in power, if you want to say in soccer right now, you know, they were kids back then. So, you know, that's, that's what was, that's what made them fall in love with football. And so that's what they feel like is best. And um, with, you know, with obviously with VAR, you know, you can talk about that all you want, but um, yeah, I think it's just a different generation, but I don't think it's necessarily a bad, a bad thing. You know, how, how, how the style has changed. That's a great point. I think Kevin De Bruyne would beg to differ. You've seen that man strike a ball with either foot. See, but Kevin De Bruyne, no, that, no. that shot for him, that is like Kevin Durant taking mid range too, right? You might that might not be an efficient shot, shot for someone else, but for Kevin De Bruyne, that's right, actually absolutely. an efficient shot, right? Absolutely. And I think that's what people lose in the analytics thing. It's like, well, that might not be an efficient shot for, you know, I don't know, Matty Longstaff, but for Kevin De Bruyne, that actually might might be, a, you know, if he's open, exactly. you know, you tell him to shoot that 100 percent of the time. Totally, and and you're going to see. I mean, managers have so much more information to work with, like like you're talking about, and it allows them to give more personalized instructions. You see. You know, in the middle of a match, you see a note being passed around to to a player, yeah. and you see all the memes, of course. But <laughs> but, but uh, no, it's it, it's it's great, and it's it's it's. I think it's making the game even better. Um, it's exciting. Yeah. Um, I guess. You know, one one team I want to talk about, you know, from this I guess 2010 era, is um, you know Bayern Munich 2012-2013. I think 
they're probably one of the most underrated teams, you know, of these this past decade. Um, you know, they won the domestic double, and then they also won the Champions League. Um, and I think that, you know, people kind of, you know, don't talk about them as much, maybe because, you know, the style wasn't unique or, you know, they didn't have Messi or Ronaldo. For whatever reason, um, you know, that was a dominant season, and I think we need to give it, you know, more credit. No, that's fair. How many how many titles did they win in a row? They're just uh, that, that, they that have, side. I, I they have won, shit. Oh yeah, seven straight Bundesliga titles. Yeah, yeah. It's just that's just ridiculous. Um, yeah. No, but yeah, and you you had a lot of young players who, I mean, we're now gonna look back on in a few years and consider legends of the game. Thomas Muller, uh, one young player who stood out on that side. Um, yeah. But all you know around, crazy? I mean, did you know Shakiri was on that team? Yeah, he was. Uh, he I know he was on that. I didn't know if he was in that twelve thirteen side. I knew yeah. he was. Yeah, I, I had no idea. Spell, but. That's yeah, crazy. I mean, um, they had a uh, they had they had Dante was yeah. I think Dante was in the back. back line, that was probably their peak, right? They had Dante, Jerome Boateng, Alaba, and Philip Lahm. Like that is probably one of the most you know um, complete you know defensive lines you're going to see. Right, with Neuer behind them. Right. Yeah, and you have the sweeper right. keeper, right? Of course, of course. No, um, I mean you've More got like Schweinsteiger. Right, Schweinsteiger. I think Mandzukic was in the side. Yeah, Mandzukic, he, that was his first year. He got signed from Wolfsburg, I believe. Um, yeah, he had a great year. Uh, Mario Gomez was there. Yeah, um, no, what a, what a side and then what a squad that they had. Really. Yeah. Uh, it's fun to look back on those, those highlight tapes. Yeah, if you have the time, definitely yeah. look back on those tapes because, you know, some, some special moments there as well. Absolutely. Yeah, and their manager, and then, um, his name is Yup Hinkies. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, people don't talk about him at all. I mean, obviously he's retired now, but I mean, you know that you know domestic double plus the Champions League, I think that that deserves a lot more credit. <clears throat> yeah, no, it's 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 very hard to come by these days. So, totally agree. Um, I think you know one one more team that I think we should talk about um, before we kind of start to wrap up is yeah the uh, the Real Madrid three peat. Side, right. which pretty much did not change over those three years. Um, yeah. It really didn't change yet. Uh, you know, obviously, Ronaldo, Benzema, Bale. What was it? Cruz, Modric, Casemiro. Yep. And then, uh, what, you have Carvajal, Ramos. You have Marcelo and Left and, and Varane or, or Pepe, maybe, for one of those. Yeah, I think it was, well, yeah. It's maybe, um, maybe interchanged, yeah. Interchangeable. Either way, um, hated it. Hated that, those three seasons <laughs> of the Champions League. Um, yeah, especially they, they just felt like Thanos, right? They, it was just inevitable every year, <laughs> and you couldn't do anything to stop them, right? It was, it was part. It was uh, who did he? What Juventus the first year in the final? Yeah, yeah. Juventus, uh, and then obviously, well, they beat Liverpool the, the third year, uh-huh. the second year. I'm struggling to come up. Maybe with maybe did I screw it up? Was Juventus the second? Atletico, Atletico. Okay, okay, right, right. right. Maybe. I think, I think I let right. it go with the first. But yeah. 2014, 2015, 20. No, I think we got their years wrong. Yeah, either, either way. Either beautiful, way. Beautiful, beautiful football. Um, beautiful style. But of course, when you have Ronaldo in the side, um, it's just if things aren't going right for some reason, just, although they, they went right the majority of the time, things aren't going yeah. right. Just hope it into the box. Yeah. Or he, exactly, Honestly. exactly. He, he's that that uh 
that one foot leap to the header is just unstoppable. Yeah. And, I, and I think that people here in America kind of struggle to you know, appreciate that run. And I, I guess the equivalent of that would be you know, winning March Madness three years in a row because of how unpredictable Champions League football is, right? It's, yeah. it's a knockout competition. So if you screw up, you know, obviously you're done. Um, obviously the two leg affair, but I think, you know, you're not going to see a run like that, um, for a very long time, if ever. And I think that, um, you know, what makes it crazy is, you know, it's a, it's a cup competition, like I said, um, and how they are able to master, you know, we're, you know, some years in there, you know, they really struggled throughout La Liga, but then, you know, they were turning on come, you know, March, April, May. And, you know, you saw teams who won La Liga, like Barcelona, just could not do the same thing. And I wonder why that is. I, I don't know. Um, no, it's, it's true. It's, it's so unpredictable. It's so hard to, to maintain that consistency. Champions League Ronaldo is something else. I mean, the amount of times he came up big, just, just Real Madrid fans owe him everything, really. Yeah. Um, but I, it's, it's amazing how again how, just how consistent that side was i remember and they weren't just you know upsetting teams or getting lucky they were wiping teams out they yeah. they I, I i don't remember what season it was one of the three um they, they were mad they were tied against Bayern munich they went to extra time in the second oh, leg yeah. and just they put three past them they put right. three goals past them just like that like in, in the final right they they went to extra time right and then you know they just blew past them. right no it's just I, maybe they're just more fit, <laughs> but I don't know. Um, definitely, I mean, reluctantly, I say as a Barca fan, um, one of the greatest sides of all time, and and the rest of the football world at least will miss it. Um, yeah. As as that team, you know, kind of has been aging over the years, and, and a lot of them are near the ends of their careers. Yeah. Um, actually, I'm sorry, I got the dates wrong. So it was 2016, 2017, 2018, and the one they beat LA go in was 2016. They won on pens. I was I was referencing the 2013, 2014 season when Atleti Atleti lost. Yes, uh, with the uh, Ramos header. Yeah, with the Ramos header to, to tie it, and obviously the downfall from there. That was honestly that's so I, I felt so bad for Atletico in that moment because I mean you're leading the entire game, and then you just collapse in extra time. Uh, but they did have a great season, you know. They won the La Liga, so that great season, yeah, absolutely great season. I you couldn't help but but appreciate Atletico in that moment, no matter who you rooted for. Yeah. Um, just uh, and still the way they play today, just the passion that they play with, you know, coming from Simeone, and and it's just it's very fun to watch, despite it being a, an alternative uh, style. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, remember the celebration. Uh, Against Juventus last year. Yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> it, it, yeah, he's had a, he, he's had a few, a uh, few memorable <laughs> celebrations. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, do you want to wrap up with, uh, you know, kind of some? I guess we kind of go on over, some, but maybe some unforgettable moments. You know, just a couple of. Yeah. Days. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Um, so, yeah, some unforgettable moments of this generation. The two come to mind. The first that comes to mind. Is Messi ending Jerome Boateng's career mm-hmm. and then tipping the ball over Manuel Neuer, the greatest yep. keeper of the time, with his weak foot? And oh, I I I, I had lost it when when I saw <laughs> that. I, I you don't understand. I was running around screaming, could not believe what I had just seen. 
what a moment. Uh, what a goal from, dare I say, the greatest player of all time. Um, I'm not sure, not sure, that, you know, what that, all that's saying, but. I think, I think a lot of soccer highlight reels, like, you know, <laughs> it's kind of bizarre. They'll, like, show them, like, like playing, a, like, a 10-yard pass. And it's like, why is this, like, on the highlight reel? And I think that what Messi, you know, did to both taking there, it was something that everyone can appreciate. You know, if you like basketball, you watch that highlight and you're like, damn, like, he just yeah. crossed them up, right? And it's like, right. that's, that's, what, that's what was so amazing about that play was it was so universal and so, you know, totally destructive of Jerome Boateng. That, 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 that's a play that can be translated to any team sport, right? Exactly. And fans of other sports can appreciate just a moment of brilliance and, and you know, yeah, just incredible. And then, you know, the, you remember that, the other... That vine? Huh? That vine? Yes. Like, yes. Expose him! Expose him! Yes, that's exactly what I think of whenever right. that, that that you know the goal was very important, but it was more important for you know the culture of social media. I think a lot of people had fun with that with yeah. that goal. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> no, uh, moving past that, um, you know, I said you know the other moment that comes to mind, maybe probably the most unforgettable moment that I've experienced as a soccer fan was Iniesta's World Cup winning goal. Really, um, I would have to say I'm gonna have to disagree and say Aguero against. Uh, QPR. Well, I, mean, I think okay. if, I think I'll, personally I'll maybe that Iniesta like that was a great goal, obviously. But I think you know Aguero, like that 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 whole call. I think the way it went down and, and the fact that it was to win the Premier League, like I don't know, that yeah. that did it more for me than. But obviously you are you know connected to Spain, so. The thing is, if if you're playing it with audio, that may well go down as the most important goal of all time. Right, right. Um, Aguero, yeah, I'm not going to scream, but. <laughs> you know, absolutely. The, the, the Iniesta goal for me is really just, um, so I, again, I mean, that was the year I was in Spain. Um, and, and Spain was the national team that I had been supporting up until, you know, that World Cup besides the U.S. But, yeah. you know, in the U.S. never getting past the round of 16. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, no, um, just a very, very emotional match uh, to watch. Very back and forth. A couple big chances that the Netherlands had. Robin had two big misses. Uh, Iker Casillas played played yeah. huge, um, and then I just—I mean—I remember uh, very vividly Fabregas playing the ball to Iniesta and the half volley, and you know yeah. tearing the shirt off with the with the tank top underneath, yeah. and just the the raw emotion going yeah, it, on it was, there. It was iconic. It was iconic for sure. Yeah. Um. How about for you? What are what are some some unforgettable moments? Uh, I mean, obviously I said Aguero. Um, you know, personally, if I was gonna go personally, I would have to say, um, you know, Papi Cisse's goal against Chelsea. You know, the swerve and the nerve. You know, to hit that ball. I mean, yes, absolutely ridiculous. And that that was part of you know why I became a Newcastle fan was that whole season, and just the, you know the the audacity and the flair that team played with. You know, you had. Obviously, Atom Ben Offer, uh, Demabog, Tavi Cisse. But, you know, that goal was just absolutely ridiculous. And I think it doesn't change anytime you look at it. Um, you he know, one no of the right, greatest he had no right goals. striking that. He had no right striking that ball. Yeah. And the way he <laughs> hit it, too, it was, it was like he hit it with the outside of his boot. So it was like, it didn't even make sense. Like, why are you even doing that? Like, and yeah, it somehow, like, you know, spun, you know, to the top right corner. But, and then, you know, what's even greater is you, you see all the Chelsea fans. You know, not doing, not moving at all. And then they changed like the Newcastle fans section. 
and it just it just lives. <laughs> could you imagine if my favorite clip? Could, could you imagine if the wind had blown that ball a little bit in one direction or the other? <laughs> yeah, that ball's in the fourth the fourth yeah, section exactly. in the stand. Right, but and that's I mean, I love long shots, but you know that's the thing. You know, do you really want to watch? You know, people hitting field goals all day, but that's beside the point. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Um, no, definitely some some memorable 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 goals and memorable moments, and I feel like going over that's kind of a good place to wrap up our, our first episode of the podcast. Um, yep. So, again, the point is, uh, you know, we've witnessed so much throughout this generation, and you know, it's really made us and it's made us all fall deeper in love with the beautiful game and so we just kind of wanted to use this first episode um, of our podcast as you know a way of navigating some of some of that that we've that we've seen over the years and also just you know a way of letting you get to know us and allowing us to share some of our favorite moments uh, personally so uh, with that uh, we want to thank everybody for listening and and we're going to really try to improve as we uh, record more episodes and, and record more content so Please uh, share this with your friends and reach out to us on social media. Our Twitter is at FluidFootyPod. That's at FluidFootyPod. Uh, you, can, you can see uh, episodes posted there, content posted there pretty regularly. Uh, our personal Twitter accounts are listed there as well. If you want to uh, check us out there as well. But with that, uh, I think we had a good first run, and we will catch you guys next time. Yeah. Um... You know, thanks for everyone for listening and uh, feel free to reach out to us. We'd love to hear from our listeners and uh, yeah, we'll see you next time.